My guest today has been working with the famous Chicago Improv Theater, Second City, for nearly three decades. Now, Kelly Leonard is considered a major force behind the renaissance and expansion of Second City and its alumni's current dominance of late-night television. Yeah, you're going to recognize a lot of these names because they got famous alums, including Tina Fey and Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert and a whole lot more. Today, Leonard is running Kelly Leonard Productions, an entity housed within Second City's umbrella of companies. He's also recently wrote a book exploring how the Second City methodology can be applied to business. We discuss that and more on this episode. Hey, welcome, Kelly. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, so I always have fans send in questions, and this one's actually... Uh, from well, they're all good friends of mine, aren't we? Aren't, aren't all tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of our, our Facebook fans and, and Twitter Twitter friends all friends, right? You know, but this one comes from Ryan Alvey, and I thought it was a very good question just to kind of kick things off, if I could, Kelly. While Second City is known for its fantastic improv education and wonderful comedians, it's produced. Um, what else does Kelly provide the organization on? I thought it was a good one right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. Uh... So, you know, I, I actually started at Second City uh, in 1988 in the, um, in the position of dishwasher. Wow. Not you know, glamorous. Yeah. Not, not, no, not, well, not glamorous, but I mean, 1988's <laughs> way back there, dude. I mean. It is. Yeah. It was, uh, and, and I was a young man with dark hair, and um, Mike Myers was on stage, Bonnie Hunt was on stage, Jane Lynch was on stage. Oh, man. Uh, Chris Farley was in the touring company getting in trouble for breaking shit. Yeah. Um, and it was... It was really cool. It was really incredible. And but what I didn't know, because I came in sort of being like, you know, this is the place where all the funny people are. Uh, while that is true, the magic that was happening was late at night when we did these free improv sets. And yes, yeah. that's the way we write our shows. And celebrities show up, so it's incredible. But really, if you fast forward from you know the founding of Second City in 1959 and, and what was going on in 88, uh, where Second City has kind of blown up uh, is really not in the theaters because the theater is still like 320 seats. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's what it is. Uh, it's taking improvisation uh, not only into sort of educational areas, into health and wellness. We work with Parkinson's patients. We work with kids on the spectrum. We work with people suffering from social anxiety. Uh, and then we've built a you know, $20 million business uh, working with Fortune 500 companies uh, of taking improv-based practices and learning and applying it to things like creativity and innovation, collaboration, empathy, listening. And, you know, I think the the myth that we're constantly busting is that there's some magic behind creativity uh, and that only a precious few hold on to it. And the reason (laughs) that we've got that is because the precious few want to put money in their pocket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But the reality is everyone has creativity. It it merely needs to be unlocked. And and that's, you know, improvisation is yoga for your social skills. It's a way of you uh, being in touch with other people and your own POV uh, to, to get it out there in the world. And what we found is 
the stuff that made Bill Murray, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, Keegan Michael Key a star can make people stars of the boardroom or you know stars in a classroom. So well, which is it's cool. Really, it's, it's a really yeah. cool point because I mean, it's like companies who have chief innovation officer or chief creative officer. You freaking is that the only place you can get it? Is with that one guy or gal? I mean, it's yeah, it, it should be part of the bigger structure. It should be part of what you do in your DNA. Yeah, and, and, and the idea, and this is like, it's rampant advertising too, right? That there's this creative director. You really are going to tell me that one guy has all the ideas? Yeah. But that you're going to have one guy who's yeah. going to have the ideas? It's crazy. It is, you know, it's groups of people working together. Uh, and, and, you, and some, you know, no, no great idea seemed sane at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and the whole idea of improvisation is allowing for a little bit of failure, a little bit of insanity up top, uh, because we tend to scrub that out. And when you scrub that out, man, you're not going to get the innovation that way. That's the yeah. stuff you want to draw from. No, you want to build on top of it. But and I want to get back to the creative stuff and being funny and all yep. that stuff. And But I, I want to – let's take it back. Let's take it way yep. back. Second City – how did it get started, you know, and then I want to ask about yep. the name because I'm not sure I understand the name. I, I thought it was something different. Then when I started reading your history, I think it's something else. So so give me okay. that first. Uh, so the name uh, comes from a, uh, a put-down of, of Chicago. Uh, A.J. Liebling, writing in The New Yorker, uh, did a whole series of articles after living in Chicago for a period of time and said, this is no first city, it's a second city. Hmm. So uh, A.J. Liebling was shitting all over Chicago. Uh, and the Liter- literally, city, literally. Literally, <laughs> literally. And the founders of the second city said, that's a great idea. Let's just take that you know, snub uh, for, for our name, yeah. which is such a Chicago thing to do. Right, right. We're, right. It's, it's all sort of da bears, and you know, yeah. we, we sort of, you know, have it's a... Ca- it's kind of kiss, kiss my around. ass kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it really yeah, is. it's kind of a noble shit. Thing. Yeah. And so, the, but the foundation of Second City is really interesting because while we opened in 1959, uh, and in the mid-50s, there was the first improvisational theater ever, which was like Mike Nichols, Elaine May, those folks, it was called the Compass Players, which was the predecessor of Second City. Really, uh, this work is, comes from the 30s and 40s uh, with a woman named Viola Spolin, mm-hmm. who was a social worker at Jane Addams Hall House on the south side here, and her job was to... Uh, get immigrant kids who are in her care to better assimilate. So she created all these improv games, these theater games, that uh, when the kids played it uh, with each other, um, they would uh, work better together. They'd listen to each other more effectively. Even if they didn't share language, they'd read you know, body uh, uh, language. Um, and so these games were really uh, fun to play and fun to watch. And so Viola's son, uh, Paul Sills, uh, taught these games to his friends, who were Mike Nichols, Elaine May, all those folks, and they created the first improvisational theater uh, in the country and then eventually uh, opened the Second City. So what's funny is that all this work that was done sort of in a, in a social or wellness area uh, in 1959 uh, launched a commercial theater uh, later, uh, and then now, you know, in the sort of contemporary era of, sec- uh, era of Second City, we're all getting back to that. We're getting yeah. back to that stuff. Well, you know, and I've, I've actually been there. I, I'm assuming a number of the listeners have as well. You know, every time I get to Chicago, I try to go back because it's just a great great show. It's a great, great event, great evening. And then there's yeah. another group that's spun off. Now, I don't know if it's spun off. I'm going to ask you this because the, yeah. the group up in Toronto, what's the name of that group? Oh, so yeah, we have a Second City Theater in Toronto. Yeah, that's so what I thought. The, yeah, okay. Yeah, in, in the early 70s, I think it was around 1972, 
uh, we opened uh, up there, and man, that first cast, uh, this, we're talking John Candy, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Eugene Levy, uh, SCTV, Radner, SCTV Hacker, was yeah. invented from and, that. I mean, that, that the whole that group was our came. TV show. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then, so they, they opened in the early 70s, and the guy who, who ran that, Andrew Alexander, ended up uh, buying all of Second City in the mid-80s. Uh, and now that's, I mean, those are our, we have a, a, our main locations, which are Chicago and Toronto, and we have a studio and training center in L.A. Oh, um, I didn't even, multiple I, I touring companies. That. But yeah, that, that's, those are our main hubs. Well, hey, let me, speaking of hubs, I got, and, and touring, I got to take care of something right here, because Kelly, because I know you like coffee, because we had a discussion on Twitter about <laughs> which coffee shop, although you brought up another one, okay, I just want to put oh, out. I redeem myself today. Yeah, because I'm telling you, Duncan, man, that's all I care it's about, it's Duncan, exactly. I stopped at my local Duncan this morning and tried out some of their great flavors, I love these guys. Now, now we're coming into the fall, which is this pumpkin crap, but everybody's yeah. going crazy for pumpkin and that'll come around but hey whether you like that or you just like real you know regular joe coffee which is what i call duncan it's uh freshly brewed and it's great and america runs on duncan and so does the show so you, you want to apologize now because you said something or you said the s word you said the s word uh, you know in the tweet i did I, I will i will note in the tweet that with the photograph i did put the logo on the other side yeah. when i realized the <laughs> error of my ways i stopped at duncan this morning all right to that good i'm good. trying to redeem myself there you go dude that's it that's it that's what i like hey a good buddy of mine actually i know this guy really well Stephen collin he's up in minneapolis and he, he he wrote in on linkedin can i i do this kelly i don't you know you you guys yeah. interact with the audience i like to do that too um, mm-hmm. And I said, you know, hey, what, what questions do you have for Kelly? And he, he, this is the good one, too. He said, most people associate comedy with improvisation. He goes, does improv work for serious subjects and presentations as well? <laughs> of course, yeah. But oh, yeah, yeah, let's sure. talk about that. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you take the funness of what you do and apply it to business where it isn't always so fun? Right. Well, the first thing to know is that if you take – level A class at Second City, we're not teaching you comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. that, is, that is decidedly what we're not teaching you. What we are teaching you uh, is improv basics. And what that's about is, here's a couple things. First of all, we are terrible listeners. Human beings are terrible <laughs> listeners. I thought you just meant uh, you. I do mean me, yeah. but I mean everyone else. <laughs> uh, and I have yet to have anyone disagree with me on this. Uh, but we tend to uh, uh, shorthand our conversations. Right. We stop listening to the uh, person when we get the gist of what they're saying. And when you improvise, you have to listen to the last word that the person is saying because you have to then build whatever you're saying off of what they're saying. So right. it's, a, it's a different orientation. So essentially the, the roots of this stuff, and they do become funny because, you know, uh, basically – all this improv stuff is about getting to truth, and that's what's funny. You know, mm-hmm. when we recognize something as kind of being true in an unusual way. Um, but the improv stuff makes you listen more attentively, allows you then uh, to pivot and be more agile inside a conversation, but also in a thought orientation. Because we talked earlier about letting that stupid idea live for a little bit. That's an improv thing. Right. And too many people are all about the know. They, they want to control the conversation. They want to control the ideas. They want to shut down new and different. And great improvisers are a lot like great leaders and, and certainly a lot like great innovators uh, in that they don't dismiss anything because it looks unusual. Because I, I defy you to name me a great invention that wasn't considered stupid for when it was taken out for the first time. Oh, yeah. The first um, light bulb, you know, the wheel, whatever it might be. You know, yeah, yeah, Todd, all that stuff. In a, in a lot of organizations, they also try to out control the outcome i you know i'm kind of like yeah. one of those 
and I and I'm like that sometimes too, like a lot of people, just human nature. But but also yep. I like to know what I don't know, and I find out the more that you know. Let's say this is a pen, and then it's not in the end we find out it's not a pen; it's this, and it's got more value to it because we just kind of let it go and we figure out what it is. It, is improv yep. a process? Is it a technique, uh, state of mind? What is it? That's actually that's a great question. Uh, yes to all of that. I tend to actually think that it's most valuable as a practice uh, when you think about sure, uh, sure. it as, as a habit. Yeah. Um, because if you can look at, okay, you know, what do I want my habits to be? Do I want my habit to be chewing my fingernails or do I want my habit to be that I'm a really good listener? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the good listener thing is probably going to get you more dates uh, and make you more money. Um, and make you happier. Um, uh, so, you know, there's a number of those sort of practices and habits that come along with improvisation, but it does sort of, you know, it, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with Danny Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, Yeah, sure. Uh, but really, yeah, it's, it's that system one and system two brain thing. And, and I think for so many of our conversations about creativity over the years have been like, you're either left brain or right brain. You're, you're this or that. You're this thinker or you're that thinker. And what Kahneman suggests is that when we are successful, we are using both parts of those brains interchangeably. And when you think about improvisation, that's totally it. Because at, at one point, you need to be completely quiet, listening to everything that's happening to you. And in the next instant, you need to have that ego go huge through the roof, and you take over, and you do your thing, and then revert back. Yeah. And that duality is key. Uh, to being a great improviser, and I would suggest to also being a successful, great human being. Well, in, when you say that, I, I, I would use the terms, it's in your body. You embody it, yeah. right? So it's mm-hmm. really inside of you. It's, it's like one thing. I think that's an important thing to think. When, when you think of improv, I always think of comedy, but it's not just yeah. comedy, right? I mean, it's, it's a... No, no. It's, it's, I mean, a lot of people take this in, into... I mean, this is the thing that, that's been the story of Second City is that all these people from a variety of different disciplines uh, come in and take our classes and find a way to apply it to, you know, what they're doing, whether it's, you know, work we've ended up doing with the U.S. Army. Um, I actually just uh, uh, got connected to— Those guys to, aren't funny. They're not funny. Well, they're, they're not, but you know what they, but what they do need is resilience. Yeah. And improvisation is all about getting the shit kicked out of you and then getting back up. And doing it, um, yeah, doing improv- it a different way or not having enough tools that you need to have mm-hmm. in order to get where you need to go, right? And relying on the guy next to you and having yeah. that guy rely on you and communication yeah. and all that. Um, I also just got connected to uh, uh, Dr. Reverend Samuel Wells, who is the vicar of St. Martin in the Field. And he has studied improvisation as it relates to Christian ethics. Well, just saying, and the, word vi- just saying the word vicar is I know funny, the vicar. I, vicar. I get to say vicar. Yeah, that's right. Believe me. <laughs> And this guy, by the way, this guy, I was looking at his picture, you know, he's like the 42-year-old hipster vicar that you know, all the ladies are coming to the, you know, fields and just loving him because he's so smart. And he is, and actually what he talks about in the teaching of Christian ethics, he thinks should be done through improvisation because it is about practicing uh, the behavior and practicing uh, the sort of ethical uh, choices that one makes in an improv, it's all about different choices, and you get shown real quickly what is a good choice, what's a bad choice, and then how to pivot from both the good choice and the bad choice. So yeah, I- improvisation is really well beyond a comedy. The reason that it's used so often in comedy, again, goes back to an earlier thing I said, which is, you know, what's funny to us? It's usually the recognition of a truth that no one has said yet. Yeah. Um, it's usually kind of looking at something going, like, it's Louis C.K., like, oh my God, I think that, I am that, I would just never say that. Yeah. 
Um, and improvisation reveals those things because it's tapping into something that's essentially true about the human condition. Well, let me ask you, you've had some real, I mean, you yourself, I mean, you know, author, you're very accomplished in a lot of different ways. And, we'll, and I want to delve into the switch you made there. But I also want to talk about, mm-hmm. you, you, you mentioned some really good people. You mentioned Seth Meyers, yeah. you mentioned Steve Colbert, you mentioned Tina Fey, uh, Steve Carell. Give me a lesson you learned from one of those guys. Or gals, either mm. way. When I say guys, everybody don't give me any shit, you know, and write to me. You yeah, know, yeah, being yeah. sexist. I'm talking about, you know, guys as everybody. So, when, yeah. when, when you think, well, what did you ever, what was one of the best things you learned from one of those people? Well, so Tina Fey, um, who I had the pleasure of uh, knowing at a very young age um, and became friends with and then was able to hire and, and, and was able to watch the arc of her career, which mm-hmm. has been, you know, rather incredible. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. And the thing is, in addition to being super smart and having a razor-sharp wit, uh, Tina's also an essentially good human being. Um, But that also doesn't prevent her from knowing the thing you hate the most about yourself. And if you get on her wrong side or on the wrong side of the (laughs) side you should be on, she will use that in an instant. Uh, So, But but in a larger sense of what I learned from Tina is a thing about status. Um, So... Tina has an incredible ability to shift her status. She can uh, lower it uh, so that uh, she's not recognizable in a room, yeah. and she can raise it uh, so that she's the boss of the room. And when I remember this on a physical level, this happened when she first started doing Weekend Update. Um, she was like, I was in New York, and we were going out for frozen yogurt. And I'm like, well, do you need to like, is there a side way we go? Cause everyone's going to mob you. She goes, Nope, I just need to do this. And she took off her glasses and <laughs> no one recognized her. And then about, we're going back to 30 rock. And I think we were two blocks away. She goes, now watch this, put the glasses on. Suddenly people were surrounding her. Wow. Um, now that's a very sort of tangible thing, but I've also seen her do it with people like, you know, if you think about 30 rock, she was the boss of 30 rock, but no one is going to out status Alec Baldwin. Uh, or Tracy Morgan. Uh, and so what she would do is allow them to be the biggest voice in the room and mm-hmm. then reassert her control afterwards. And this ability to sort of shift status, especially as a woman in power, was really incredible to me and kind of, I think, is a paradigm for uh, what female leadership means in the most positive sense. And I think men could use this more as well, uh, yeah. which is you don't need to be the loudest top dog to be the top dog the whole time. Well, you know, great communicators do that, and also great salespeople yep. do that. They actually mirror, yes. mirror, and you know, know the four mirror. different types of personalities. They make sure you sell that mm-hmm. way and, and recognize that way. With, yep. uh, what was the what was the worst example of something that you saw? Oh my God! So much of that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can imagine when you're doing these trainings to all these corporations, yep. sometimes someone does something in the room, and the boss is sitting there, and they're all the whole thing's got to go silent. Yeah. So I'll give you one example. Um, we got hired by a cultural institution in Chicago um, because they had a very, very important scholar on their staff. Um, huge in his field. Yeah, now I'm now I'm and, try, I'm trying to figure out which one. Make a rack in my know, brain. Well, I'll, it's I'll, okay. I'll tell you off the air. All right, uh, it's okay. And he he was such an asshole. Yeah. Uh, was just impossible to work with and made everyone else's life a living hell. And they're like, yeah. "Can you help us?" And essentially, they hired us to do a workshop for their entire staff when it was based on getting one guy to behave better. 
Um, and normally, our, you know, and our stuff works very well. And we went into the workshop, and people are loving it, and they're really participating, except for this guy. Yeah. And it was like, and they didn't tell us who it was ahead of time, but it only oh, took like it, 15 minutes. It probably was pretty evident when they walk in. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. And and we finished the first day, and we're like, wow, that the, the, you you're right. You have a huge problem. Let's we're going to try this the next day. He didn't show up the second day, uh, so he got fired. Um, you know, that is, but that's an outlier. Most people have a, a, a ability, uh, a level of humility and a, a ability to have some level of empathy uh, that they can understand that they maybe need to adjust their behavior. But every once in a while, you get someone whose their need to be right outweighs uh, their need to be successful. And I think we all know people like that, and they usually drown themselves and, and yeah. get drummed out of something that they're very good at. Yeah, you can't you can't move as you can only move as fast as your slowest common denominator. And yeah, you know, oh, I got I got another I got another uh, uh, add to that, which is you've heard that phrase, "You're only as good as your weakest member." Um, we actually changed that to "Your team is only as good as its ability to compensate." for your weakest member. Wow, uh, even more value. Yeah. yeah, an ensemble orientation, which is because we're all going to be the weakest member at some point. So you sure. kind of want yeah. every team member to look out for each other at, when they're at that point. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in the mix-up of our television mix-up, I'm not the prettiest face. I get it. You know, I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, oh, you didn't have to, hey, Kelly, you didn't have to agree to that. Jeez, come on. I'm yes It's an dude, improv thing. Dude, dude. <laughs> All right, there we go. Hey, let me uh, talk about my friends at Liberty Tax because uh, I, I love these guys. And, hey, are you one of those people who overpays the government when it comes to your taxes? Don't give your money away. Enroll in a tax course. You know, you're going to go take them, right, at Liberty Tax. They get, they'll teach you everything you need to know about preparing tax. You don't have to pay a penny more than you owe. Well, you got to pay your fair share. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, the course is free, so sign up. Go to LibertyTax.com and find more about it. I love Liberty Tax. Thanks, guys, very much for being a part of it. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Want to tell my listeners about a great men's clothing brand called Mac Weldon. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Man, I love this. Everyone knows I'm a big fan of my cowboy boots and my custom blazers, but sometimes you just need some basics like, I got to talk about it, T-shirts, socks, undershirts, and underwear. Hey, you know, I'm sexy. I'll talk about these things. Shopping for these items has always been a chore, so when a friend introduced me to Mack Weldon, I was immediately impressed by their business model. I love it. Order online and ship right to my door it takes the stress out of the free shopping experience, man. And if you don't like it, they'll send it. You can send it back. So MacWeldon.com is a new friend of the show and is offering 20% off for our listeners by using the promo code Business. So go fill it out, do it, and put in business. And like like business, we're going to give you some money off 20% just for listening. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, so what can what can people learn from the creative processes of comedians? Are, do you find, like, Tina and Seth and all these guys and everybody you've worked with and you've produced these these great shows all over the, over the years, do you find that they're practiced or they just let it go? Oh, no, they're highly practiced. Yeah. So, there's there's people who have you know they certainly have talent a lot of people have talent but what these folks have done is uh, mastered their art they have drilled down and and they didn't they didn't just show up with it that's mm-hmm. sort of vital um, they and they worked hard really hard yeah. I mean when you get to the resident stage at Second City 
um, we're closed Christmas Eve and Christmas. That's it. You're doing eight shows a week, uh, six of those, uh, uh, five to six improv sets, you know, every week. You are in it, and it's like, you know, boot camp. Um, so you come out good, but then you got to stay good. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of drive. Um, there's a lot of ego, but I will say this, and this is the, you know, when you talk about all these great alums that I've been able to work with over the years, so blessed to work with them. The one, uh, common thing between all of them is their humility with regard to the people they work with, that they very much come out of this ensemble tradition, have each other's back, uh, trust and listen to everyone. Um, and, uh, it doesn't sublimate their own, you know, ego and drive, uh, what it does is add to it. It, it, it. it gives them sort of more fuel. And I think that's kind of the reason Second City has been successful. I mean, it's sort of unprecedented. Uh, you know, 60 years we've been around, roughly. Um, very, very successful. Continue to produce all these great alums. Uh, rumor has it one of our new people, I can't say because I don't think he signed his contract, got hired to Siren Live today. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the, that is not ended. And I think it's this tradition of improv practice with have your partners back, uh, with uh, mastery over craft and, and hard, hard work, and and you're doing it in Chicago, and this is the benefits of a flyover town. You know, this is the benefits of us not being, you know, uh, New York or L.A., which is there's just that lack of eyes on the work that allow you to really um, uh, develop your own voice and not uh, come See, out know, I, you know, I don't. Uh, hang on. I, I want to first of all, I think Chad Glover 01 for the question, but I, I'm not buying that that you're it's your flyover. Come on, it's, it's freaking Chicago. I oh, think Chicago? You, I think you guys play that. I think you play that a little <laughs> bit. All right, just like I play. I'm from South. I'm just a poor guy from South Dakota, you know, and I do mm-hmm. that, and I'm kicking everybody's ass. I think you do that there. Well, there's probably a degree of that that you're right, but I will say this. I mean, if the New York Times doesn't recognize it, it doesn't appear to be recognized in terms of the, you know, sort of national, you know, uh, uh, record of, of the art. Or Fox. Um, and, or Fox, and, right? Yeah. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I don't believe that, but, but that's okay. But, yeah, so so we're, you know, I mean, and – and there is, I mean, you know, the, the, cause you know, these guys, yeah. when the agents come in and, you know, they want to stay for like 20 minutes of the show and then leave and yeah. you're like, ah, all right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Chicago does have this no BS thing. And I think when you think of a certain second city type, which I think is epitomized by Bill Murray, uh, but also is, you know, George went at the end of the bar and cheers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain sort of, uh, world weary, uh, Belushi's this way too, right? maybe smarter uh, than everyone else, um, that, that that's, a, that's a quintessential Chicago uh, type, and it definitely has a chip on its shoulder. Yeah, but, there's, thi- but, there's, about, yeah, but, there, go, but there's things that come out. I mean, like, all right, I'll give you a great one, uh, the Billy Goat. Good. You know, you, the, you know Bill Murray and Belushi mm-hmm. uh, took mm-hmm. something that they used to do after the show. They'd go down to the Goat, eat some cheeseburgers, yep. the guy Pepsi, Pep, no Pepsi, Coke, Coke, no Coke, Pepsi. Mm-hmm. And, they, and that became a national thing that came from that, yep. you know, so that's a first tier thing. Oh, no, no, but I mean, it's, but it's exported. Yeah, you that's know, I mean, true. It's, it's, okay. I'll give you it's that. Exported. I'll give you that. I'll and give you that. that show here. Yeah. And I'll also say this, by the way, I was at the goat the other day. Yeah. They're serving fries now. Uh, it's, not, it's not just chips. Yeah. They've given it. I know. 
Yeah, they've I given. I was really it. sad about that. I'm like, I don't want fries. I want. Got, I mean, I actually do want fries, but I don't want them there. I love. I love. You know what? I would stay a couple. I always stay a couple blocks away when I'm in Chicago, and then I go down there for breakfast because they make a great fried egg sandwich yeah, in the morning. Yeah, they do. I, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I love a fried egg sandwich here in New York, but I love one in Chicago too. So that's one of my favorite. So what yep. now? What 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 dominates your time these days? Well, so yeah, so I stepped down from running the theaters, the live theaters, and all mm-hmm. that last year. And uh, after I wrote the book, uh, Yasand started on the speaker circuit and just started getting into all these sort of interesting conversations with, you know, other folks about the work. And and one of the things that I did at Second City when I was running the place was uh, I created a lot of collaborations with other groups like Lyric Opera and Hubbard Street Dance and uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines and a lot of the the programs that we have going going today. And I was uh, in a conversation uh, at the University of Chicago um, with, with some folks and found that there's a really interesting connection between behavioral science and improvisation. So one of the major projects I'm working on right now is we are looking at collaborating with academic institutions uh, to bridge the worlds of behavioral science research uh, and improv practices. So behavioral science has taught us for years that people make bad choices for themselves. Improvisation is practice in making new, different, better choices. What if we put those things together? What if we actually got data uh, and research to show that the stuff we think and know and have been shown that it works uh, makes people better, but what if we put some science behind that? So a lot of my time right now, and that was the call I was running off of when I came over here, uh, was in how can we you know, start doing this and can we start funding research? So um, we're, we're in those conversations and hopefully are you know, six to eight weeks away from making a big announcement of a big initiative uh, to do just that. Yeah, so in the stuff that you do each day, what, what dominates your day? What's your day like? Uh, writing, um, and, uh, yep. Uh, so I do a ton of writing for, for the organization. I started hosting a podcast to talk to interesting people like yourself. Uh, and then, um, uh, basically new, new business, what, what I, what I didn't know what I was doing before, but apparently is what I do, which is new business development. Um, so reach out to these different organizations and, uh, find connections between the work. So when I read this book on Christian ethics and improvisation, you know, uh, found out that we have a, uh, another partnership that deals with uh, ethics and compliance training, and oh, can we start to then bring this other work um, into a more powerful context? So, you know, start to, to build out uh, those relationships and turn it into business. So it's really taking everything that I've learned over the last 30 years and the ability to talk about it uh, and trans- translate that into, you know, new business lines. Yeah, and then taking it to, to Cordoba, Facebook, Haynes, Google. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, totally. I, I like, looked at some of the, the clients that you guys are working with, which is really great. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm going out to Microsoft in a couple months to talk to them, and you know, it's it's and it's fun because the the you know, I think ten years ago, I don't know that we would have been welcome in the door, and I think now there's uh you know we're at a certain place and the world's at a certain place, and and a lot of great thinkers are at a place where they realize that. Uh, this improv stuff uh, is powerful, and and there's there's things to be learned from. So you know, I didn't see in your background, uh, Kelly, when I was looking. I saw a lot of the stuff you're doing today. But uh, where are you from originally, and and what did you study? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, all right. Born okay. in Boston. Okay. Cool. Uh, Massachusetts. Well, then you should Boston. Was, don't know, give me crap about Duncan anymore, man, dude. <laughs> dude. I moved, right. I moved when I was one. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I, but I still the Red Sox are my second team. Ah, oh, there you go. Uh, there you go. 
but my dad was a TV radio guy, uh, yeah. and he came and got. Uh, he was on WGN here for like thirty-three oh, wow. years yeah. um, in Chicago. Yeah, uh, and so I ended up uh, wanting to get in. I, I studied at Lake Forest College. Uh, I was an independent scholar, wrote my thesis on the Beat Generation, and was writing plays. And so hmm. I got a, the job washing dishes in Second City as a way to, to get in the business. Help, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, get in the business. And I was told that's what, you know, just take any sort of gig. Right. Um, and so I had no, I mean, it, what's interesting is I was studying improvisation, but I was studying it through uh, jazz, uh, through oh, Kerouac's uh, and the Beat Generation's spontaneous Bob Prosy, so, so that kind of writing. And I was a deadhead, so I knew about improv through them. Uh, and then um, got to Second City and had no idea that what they did was improvisation. And so when I ended up, staying and, and sort of growing and that really was this is my i was so you literally but, but you literally started as a dishwasher i just want to yeah th that's true 21 okay and then what then yep. what was the progression because i mean look i love this because i i you know mm -hmm. get any job you can and work your way up that's where a lot yep. of folks yep. have started i mean I'm, I'm i'm interviewing the uh the editor managing editor of time next week and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know she started as a, a copywriter you know and proofer yep. Yep. yeah uh, so I was lower than that. Um, it, yeah, that, that yeah, that, I got to tell you, that is a step you know, up. No, no offense, but yeah, that, that, <laughs> no, it was, it was sociopath alcoholics. It's terrible. Uh, uh, but yeah, after, so I washed dishes. I went and worked for another startup theater called the Willow Street Carnival, which was founded by uh, Bernie Solins, who was the founder of Second City. He had sold mm -hmm. Second City to Andrew, started a new theater. It bombed, completely mm -hmm. bombed. Uh, I got hired then back in the box office at Second City. So this is now at 1989. Uh, at that point, Second City had no brochures. It had we basically took all reservations on an answering machine, um, and I had no idea. I had an entrepreneurial, you know, sort of bent, but I did. So I said, you know, look, why don't I start doing things like I'll design a brochure and we can get it done? And what if we got a phone sequencer instead of this machine? And people kind of let me do stuff. So ended up becoming director of sales uh, in 1991 and. At that point, Second City was a very small staff. The admin staff was maybe seven, eight people. Uh, and the woman who had been uh, producing Second City for, for years had gotten quite ill um, and was really not able to sort of, you know, stay on full time in the position. And there was no one to take over. There was mm -hmm. just no one. And in 1992, um, so I'm 24, 25, uh, I got asked to become the third producer in the history of second city wow. um and i said yes uh, yeah yeah, improv yeah training yeah you're probably sitting um, there and, just god please let them just let me say yes yeah <laughs> uh well it was it yeah. was it was a tough a few years but sure you know uh learned on the job and, and i was yeah. i mean my first cast was colbert Corell, amy sedaris yeah. that, that was in the very first cast i produced so you know they they made me look very very good um, but really, there was a lot of learning on the job, and, and if you know, the failure is such an important part of uh, your ability to to grow. Um, and I was allowed to have a lot of failure, um, which led to a fair amount of success, um, and and really allowed me to live in that gig for a long period of time, and then take that knowledge and try something completely new when I'm still young enough to you know do it. Fantastic. Well, hey, I wanted to get, give a, we got to wrap up here, but I want to give a shout yeah. out to your podcast. Talk to me about the podcast that you do. Yeah. So I started a podcast with WGN radio here in Chicago. Um, it's on WGN plus, 
their podcast network, and it's called Getting to Yes And. And I do half-hour interviews uh, with people uh, who live at the intersection of creativity and, and business. So everyone from nice. Dan Pink to Christy Hefner uh, to Simon Sinek to Adam Grant. And, and you know, it's, it's great. They're fun conversations. We talk a lot about improv, but we learn a lot about, you know, um, uh, what people who are – uh, innovating. What are the, what's the stuff that they've got that makes them, you know, uh, be able to do this stuff? Well, you, you named three great people. Christy Efner is a very mm-hmm. good friend of mine. I love Christy. If I weren't married, yeah, if I weren't married, I would probably. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, I, know what I you love mean. Christy, oh my God. and we're we're good friends yeah. too. And I've told her that, and I've told my wife that. So I don't want anybody to write letters about that. Either. Oh no, my my wife yeah. my wife is totally down with the Christy thing. She yeah. gets it. She's yeah, just she's a beautiful person, beautiful person, mm-hmm. and inside and out, and just a good friend. And I met her on the met her when I was the CMO of Kodak. She's been on the show. I've had da- Daniel Peak's been on our show. Uh, Simon, I should get yeah. Simon on. Simon's a good buddy of mine too. So. Gosh, I'll have yeah, to, he's a smart guy. I'll have to go through your 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 list of guests and just steal some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you have a head start on me. Yeah, well, well we're having a great time. Well, listen, my friend, thank cool. you. How can they? How can people reach you? When are the shows? That kind of stuff. Put push it out there, and yeah. and then the then talk about the production company. Yeah, so so uh, uh, secondcity.com is where you can get all the Second City information. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at KL Second City. And I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Um, my own company, uh, uh, Kelly Laird Productions, basically pr- produces in-house for Second City. So it's kind of the same thing at this point. Uh, so anything that uh, I'm putting out on, on Twitter or LinkedIn can, can get you uh, the information you get you there. finding all awesome. our stuff. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Kelly, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about the things I learned. I learned a lot, as always. Um, I enjoy conversation. I had a good conversation. You can always tell when I have the really good ones. So, you know, because sometimes I don't have good conversations with people. But this was one of those I just instantly like. And the chemistry, you can even get chemistry over a phone. Right? Have you ever had those conversations? Well, that was like what I felt like here. I like this guy. Never met him before in my life, but you know, I'm I'm gonna I want to hang around him. I want to. In fact, I invited him to come for a cup of coffee, Duncan. You know, or a scotch. So I I like things like that. So listen, let me tell you what I learned today. I talked about shifting. I thought that was pretty cool. The status. Remember we talked about Tina Fey shifting her status. I thought that was pretty good. I like that uh, about how you mirror you know, the person you're next to and allow the people to have their spotlight. I thought that was pretty good. Also about the assholes too. You know, there's always one and you can only move as you know as fast as your slowest common denominator. I thought that was a, a decent one uh, to kind of come out of this interview. So, hey, a couple of things. Uh, don't forget to tell your friends. Please, please, please. I like that because that's how we get more people that listen to us. And, um, you know, and go and visit and, you know, talk, check out Liberty Tax, check out Duncan. Those things help as well. All right, my friends, until next time, uh, tune in. This is Jeffrey Hazlett on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on the Play.it Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.